0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back, and we are still recovering from UFC 251. I'm Simon Head from Rochester in England. Joining me, as always, is the uh, the second half, the better looking half of the Brit Pack. Chamatkar Sandu from over there in Toronto, Canada. Don't know about you, Sandu. I mean, one of the big benefits of you moving over there, you get to watch stuff at proper times because I am still an absolute mucking fess, as we like to say over here. I'm i was supposed to do my little tactical nap whenever i know i've got a really big pay-per-view card i have a tactical nap i'll go to bed just after the kids sort of eight nine o'clock get a few hours in and normally wake up for like the last couple of prelims and then i've got a nice run up into the main card because i've normally got a full shift of work the following day so i have to sort of power sort of power through and that's how it was for me on on uh, on saturday night and sunday that tactical nap did not happen I ended up doing 40 hours without sleep and I still haven't recovered. I am an absolute empty shell of a man. I'm hoping you're in slightly better condition than me right now.
1: I'd say slightly better because <laughs> when when the final fight ended, it was around 2 a.m. And I'm not going to lie, I was thinking about you guys over there on the other yeah, side of the pond. I bet you were. <laughs> I'm telling you, like... And, and And the reason I say that is I thought, thank God I'm in Toronto. And even though... It finished at 2am, throw in the the post-fight press conferences and and post-fight interviews and all the rest of it. Then you're looking at around 3am-ish, something like that. I thought to myself, man, I'm kind of glad I'm in Toronto and not back in London. Because I was looking at the time and throwing the time zone difference. It was about 7 o'clock when the fight's ended for you guys. And if you were brave enough to stick around for the post-fight media scrums, or, in your case, if you had to, if you were obligated to by your employer to, to stick around, then you're looking at eight, nine o'clock in the morning when you kind of finish work and you finish really consuming all the, the post fight content. So, it was a late one, not gonna lie. I'm, I'm definitely not in the same situation as you. I am still pretty tired because it was just one of those big blockbuster events where there was so much going into it late one in terms of the fight night and there's been so much coming out of it that and i'm sure you can attest to this simon the content around this event has been just through the roof the numbers have been through the roof um a lot of new eyeballs a lot of casual fans mainstream audience um definitely checked out the event and uh, it was definitely good to be working uh, on the the broadcast and the media side for this one because the numbers were just astronomical
0: yeah, and uh, I think it was reported by The Athletic just a day or so ago that they did 1.3 million pay-per-view buyers for that show, which uh, it attests to Jorge Masvidal's selling power alongside Kamara Usman. It attests to the fact that having three good title fights on the card will help sell. But it also tells you that people want to watch top-level sport in the middle of this pandemic. And I can't say this enough. The UFC have done an outstanding job. Now, I know leading into those Jacksonville shows, there was a lot of trepidation. A lot of legitimate questions were being asked about whether this could be done safely. And as things have gone along, they've gone from Jacksonville in Florida, and we all know what's going on in Florida right now. They've gone from there to Las Vegas and the UFC Apex, where things cranked up a notch and they've done a great job there. And then they've gone over to to Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi, where along with the input and the help that they've had from the Abu Dhabi government, they have absolutely taken things to levels that you won't find anywhere else in sport. Um, it, is, it is absolutely next level stuff in terms of looking after their athletes. They've got everybody in this 10 mile exclusion zone. You've got bubbles involved and it it's it's been superb. And what it means is, They've been able to hold these events, which has been fantastic for the fans. It's been fantastic for us working in the media because it wasn't all that long ago. You and I were on this podcast talking about if this, if sport doesn't come back soon, we 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 might have to start looking for other stuff to do for a living because you know we know people are getting laid off in all in all walks of life, in all careers, and sport had been completely kiboshed by this. The UFC have led the way. And have done an outstanding job, and I think they got their rewards this weekend with UFC 251. They got a big pay-per-view number through ESPN Plus, according to uh, I think it was Mike Coppinger at the Athletic reported that. Um, and the fight card delivered on pretty much every level. You know, you had a little bit of something for everybody there. You know, we had uh, we had we had highlight reel finishes. We had controversial decisions. You had title fights. You crowned. Crowned a new champion on the night, and a former champion rising back up into contention in Rose Namajunas. A bit of something for everybody there, and it was it was a huge night, a great night. And uh, I guess the best place to start, Sandu, is that main event: Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. Masvidal had stepped in on six days' notice. We knew he'd been training in the background, but hadn't had a proper camp, but was coming in in pretty good shape. Cut twenty pounds in the space of a couple of days, made weight. And uh didn't do himself too badly, really, on fight night. Just Usman was just too good for him. Wasn't the best looking fight in the world, was it? But Usman did what he did, shut down his opponent, and won all five rounds on two of the judges' scorecards. One of the other scorecards gave Masvidal one of the rounds, 4946. But it was dominant again from Usman. But uh Unpack that main event for us, Sandu. I mean it was it was it didn't really it didn't really explode into fireworks like we were hoping, but what it did show us is like his fighting style or not, Kamara Usman is going to take some shifting from that championship slot at £170.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you look at what we talked about last week, and I think the, the majority of members of the media, you know, well-knowledged people in the business, everyone was kind of picking Usman to win, right? I was picking Usman to win with my head, but with my heart, I thought, well, just given the momentum that Jorge Masvidal was riding over the last 16 months or so, I really felt like he was on that Conor McGregor meteoric rise and, and all he needed. And what Conor got was that left to on Aldo, And I thought, well, you know, if Masvidal delivers something like that, similar to that, then given just the traction and the eyeballs that this event had... He'd be he'd be right up there, and and you know you could probably say he still he still is up there regardless of uh, of the loss. But Kamaru Usman, man, look, this isn't Rock and and Robots. He's got a very difficult style to break down. It isn't always pleasing on the eye. Styles do make fights, but he did what he had to do to get the W first and foremost. Did he use this opportunity to uh, step put a stamp on the performance? Finish Jorge Masvidal. And, and use all of the, the eyeballs as, as a way to leverage his own superstardom? No, he didn't. You know, the, that, that's why people love Khabib Nurmagomedov so much. You know, He's someone that has a, a grappling wrestling foundation to his overall game. But man, he just finishes, guys. He just gets you down. He pummels you and it's ground and pound. And, and very rarely do you go 25 minutes in the distance with Khabib. So look, Kamara got the job done he got the win and in this game and in this sport and when you're in the ufc when you're a champion you just make more money that's just the facts you're you're, you're you're you get a portion of the of the pay-per-view and it is incumbent on you to become a to stay champion or remain champion so you can keep collecting those big paydays and those big paychecks because the minute you lose it then you drop down a tier in terms of your overall pay structure so yeah wasn't pleasing on the eye coming out of it. Kamaru Usman, I think his his stock doesn't rise. It doesn't fall either. I kind of I think it just stays where it was going into the event. We all know he's a he's a dominant champion. He's got a fantastic resume, and he'll continue to dominate that weight class for the foreseeable future. Uh, and we'll see who who's next for him, and we can obviously uh, speculate there. And, and and when you look at Jorge Mazdal, he was in a a win-win situation going into this regardless you know i think everyone was so impressed and taken back by his attitude to take the fight on six days notice and even though we all kind of knew he was training i, I still think you have to put a little asterisk on that it's one thing to kind of stay in shape and and train for the off chance that maybe something might happen and and the ufc might you know, give you that last-minute phone call, which is which is exactly what happened. It's a totally different thing when you have an opponent in mind on a specific date, and you can actually create a full-on camp to to target that opponent. Um, so, Jorge Mazdal he comes out of this pretty much unscathed. I don't, think, I mean, apart from a few cuts on his face, it doesn't look like he suffered any any serious injury. So that's good. He's already in the uh, on the bike, going for a, a, a ride around Miami. Uh, just a couple of days removed from, from the contest. So he's in good spirits. And I can't wait to see what happens next. And um, and I'm sure that if he can get another high-profile win, maybe two, then who knows? Maybe we'll see him fight for that welterweight championship once again down the road.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's interesting you gave that, that Conor McGregor comparison and you said McGregor had that left hook on, uh, on Jose Aldo. I think if... If we're searching for parallels, I think uh, Jorge Masvidal, his his equivalent was the flying knee on Ben Askren. Um, the only difference is that wasn't in the title fight. I think the Usman fight for Masvidal was more like the Khabib fight for McGregor, but obviously the big difference with that was um, we didn't get the finish at the end of it. Kamara Usman pretty much is dominating things right now at 170. Um, the fact that Masvidal didn't get finished in that fight and didn't look close to being finished in that fight. He was in that fight all the way through. He was just stifled for five rounds. I think that's how I put it in my BBC report. That he just got stifled for five rounds. And I think what that does is that leaves that that leaves the rematch door open. You know, Masvidal isn't complaining. He's he's come out of this and he's given due respect and due props to Usman for being the better man on the night. But he also said. I now have the blueprint to beat this guy. I've been in there with him for 25 minutes. I've seen what what he does. I've felt him in there. Um, I now know what I need to do to beat him. He's going back to the drawing board. And uh, his next move is going to be a very interesting one. Um, I think Nate Diaz is looking pretty good right now because I think Conor McGregor chirped up at Nate Diaz this past week. Um, That's that's always an option for Conor McGregor. Jorge Masvidal... Is also a good option for for Nate Diaz as well. So if Nate wants to earn himself a few extra bucks, then uh, he's got himself potentially two huge matchups that he could canvas for in a not too distant future. As for Usman next, I think the general consensus here is either Gilbert Burns or Leon Edwards. And I know from talking to my colleagues stateside and from just reading the tea leaves on social media, most people and even Dana White's comments post fight, all roads seem to be leading towards it being Gilbert Burns. Um, I understand that. I understand that. That was the fight that was originally booked for UFC 251. But let's be honest here. Leon Edwards has been waiting for his shot for a hell of a lot longer than Gilbert Burns has. Burns is in great form and he will deserve his shot when he gets it. I just don't think he deserves it in front of Leon Edwards. I think Leon Edwards has been there. Circumstances have basically KO'd him from a couple of big fight opportunities. The Tyron Woodley fight which is the fight that obviously Gilbert Burns then stepped in and uh, managed to get the big performance. So Leon missed out on that. That was going to be the main event in London in March, just as COVID hit the UK. Um, and he was also the first guy considered to step in uh, to face Kamara Usman at UFC 251. The UFC asked him and he said he wasn't in a position to fully prepare for the fight. He wanted to make sure that he went in... Uh, having done things properly. And I think travel was also an issue at that point. Um, so they then moved on to Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns obviously tested positive for COVID. And then Masvidal steps in. And uh, the most bankable fight they could have put on uh, was actually the one that they ended up having. But I would, I would, I want to see Leon Edwards in there against Kamaru Wiseman next. If Kamara's going to take some time off, and let's be honest, he probably deserves some. Um, having fought in December and then in July I would imagine we'll look to see him towards the end of the year Um, then why not do Burns versus Edwards I mean just do the title eliminator eliminate all doubt put one of them in a title fight with Usman in sort of December November December time that would be the the sensible thing but um, it's a it's an interesting melting pot at 170 connor has got to come back in there as well potentially at some point so loads going on at 170 but loads going on 145 at 145 and a lot of controversy, Sandu. Controversy insofar as the way it's been covered and the way people have spoken about it. Alexander Volkanovsky defeated Max Holloway by split decision. 47-48 to Holloway was the first card and then the other two were 48-47 to Alexander Volkanovsky. Before I dive into this, I want to know how you scored this and how you viewed this fight because I saw people screaming robbery online. I just don't buy that. I don't buy that. I'd, if I was Max Holloway, I'd be disappointed that the decision went against me. But I don't think that was a robbery. That was a super close fight from where I was sitting anyway.
1: This is one of the byproducts of having a major event with a lot of eyeballs, and a lot of perhaps new eyeballs on the product and on the sport and on the UFC. And wouldn't you just know it, we had to have a controversial decision thrown into the mix. And when everyone's online, on social media, on I think the word robbery was trending pretty high on Twitter, which tells you exactly what was going on in the aftermath of this contest. First of all, I'll give you my scorecard, Simon. I scored it a 48-47 for Max Holloway. I gave Max the first three rounds, and I gave Volkanovski rounds four and five. And for those of you that know how the 10-point must system works... And when you apply it to the criteria of of mixed martial arts, you could have scored a bunch of these rounds, in particular, in my my opinion, rounds three, four and five either way. For me, I thought the first two rounds were very clear cut for, for Max and I thought rounds three, four and five was essentially a coin flip. You could have scored it either way. And when you think about it in that context, if you can score 3, 4, and 5 either way, then it's very reasonable to, to think to think that someone may have scored it for Volkanovski giving, giving him rounds 3, 4, and 5, right? So, robbery, absolutely not. In my opinion, and I think in most people's opinion, especially those who I respect that know the sport and know the, how the criteria and the, and the, and the scoring system works, did score it for Max Holloway um, I think a lot of people had it similar to what I just described in terms of the first three rounds for Max and then rounds 4 and 5 for Volkanovski and it's a bit of a, a tricky situation now for Max because he's lost two fights to, to Volkanovski back to back I do feel for Volkanovski here because again just talking about the amount of eyeballs on on this particular event he's taking a lot of heat and unnecessarily so in my opinion he'd done his job he'd done what he had to do It was a close fight, closer than the first fight. The first fight was very, very dominant in Alex's favour. And uh, it's interesting to see what happens next. I I threw, uh, you know me, Simon, I love throwing these Sunday Sunday polls just to kind of get the, put my finger on the pulse and have a look at what the fans are kind of thinking. I asked, should the UFC book Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway 3 or move on? Over 10,000 votes, 56%. Would like them to book another rematch and 44% would like them to move on and if they move on listen there's plenty of contenders in the featherweight division right now but when I start to think about the current UFC rankings I know well okay look Zabit's going to be fighting Yair soon Brian Ortega is going to be fighting Chan Sung Jung soon well, I think I hope that'd be great so that ties up rank the the guys that are ranked two three four and five Right Now, obviously, we've got Calvin Cater and and Dan Eag fighting on Wednesday of this week. But um, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, just given the outpour of and and the reaction to this fight, could there potentially be an immediate rematch booked again uh, for later on this year? Again, just to leave absolutely no doubt this time. I personally think it would be super unfair on Volkanovski because I think he's got the job done. But if you want to stay active and if the UFC want to do Max Holloway as solid... Uh, and if Alexander Volkanovsky also just wants to make sure that he can continue with his career as a champion in this weight class uh, without any more questions uh, lingering about this particular fight and this particular performance against Max Holloway, maybe that'll be enough to kind of uh, to get him bought in as well. I don't know; only time will tell. But I do feel for him because I thought um, it was a close fight and it could have been—you know—I I, I could have easily have scored it for him. Uh, and when you when you think about the commentary and the audio and other things that factor into things of how people absorb the sport and absorb the fights at home. There's so many other things that kind of you know, play into it. But like we've spoken about in the past, the three most important people scored it in favor of Volkanovski and we have to respect the result.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. On on the rematch thing, I think Alexander Volkanovski would be absolutely bananas to, to uh, canvas for or accept a third fight with Max Holloway next for the simple reason that if he loses, they are not gonna do a fourth fight straight away. That would that that just isn't gonna happen, right? So I think he needs to go away, get a couple of title defenses, Max can go back to the drawing board, beat a couple of killers at forty five, and then build the momentum again. And if Volkanovsky is still the champ at that point, Max Holloway's back on form again, then's the time, do that fight again. Uh, because it then opens the door for another rematch, if need be. But to do four in a row is a bit of a stretch. I've pulled up while you were talking there. I've pulled up the scorecards. And it's kind of interesting because there's been a, there's been a lot of media about the judges, right? And um, I read a report from a from a certain UK newspaper. I, I won't mention who it is, uh, but I did used to work for him. Um, and uh, they they wrote this 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 report saying that. Dana White's going to bin off some of the judges as a result of what's been going on. And they named Mark Colette as the judge who apparently had turned in these egregious scorecards, right? Mark Collette scored, scored, um, scored the fight to Alexander Volkanovsky. Clemens Werner scored the fight to Alexander Volkanovsky. The only one, uh, and uh, David Letherby scored the fight to uh, Max Holloway. Now, I agree with you, Sandu. I scored the fight 48-47 to Max Holloway. Like you, great podcast this. We're agreeing with everything. But this is just how we saw it, which suggests that at least we're viewing things similarly when we're watching the fights. Rounds one and two were very clear. Max Holloway won those rounds. He edged the strike in and he dropped Volkanovski at the end of each round, right? This isn't boxing where you get an instant 10-8 for a knockdown it just put the little exclamation point on the fact that he won those two rounds 10-9, right? So those two rounds in the bank, he's got a healthy lead heading into the middle rounds. Now, where the judges have differed from us, um, where we agreed that the third round was kind of like the fulcrum of the fight, really, that's where you could maybe toss the coin and say, did, did uh, Volkanovsky nick that round or did Holloway win that round? Well, all three judges gave that round to Alexander Volkanovski, all three. And the only round where there was a, a bit of, of, of a discrepancy was the last round which which uh, I, I thought was Volkanovski's round. I thought he won four and five uh, and that middle round was super close. I gave it to Max um, but it was it was really close so as I say, I gave it 48 47 to Max, but i didn't I don't have a problem with those scorecards. I know Dana was talking about it and all the rest of it. I think what people forget. When they're looking at a fight, they'll watch a fight from start to finish. They'll watch the narrative being played out through the commentary, through what they see. Um, and they'll, they'll get to the end of the fight and they'll say, that guy won. That guy won the fight. But what they're not really... When, when, when you're scoring a fight, it's, and it's a title fight, you're not scoring a fight. You're scoring five five-minute fights is basically what you're doing. You're saying who won the fight in round 1? Who won who won the second fight in round 2? Who won? That they are basic to all intents and purposes each round is a separate individual thing. And what happened in the rounds before has no influence on what happens in the round that you're currently scoring. So, yeah, damage can accumulate over the course of a fight, but you are scoring the action and the damage and all the rest of it that is sustained or created in that five minute window so you're looking at five specific periods of time that are individually scored and if you individually score those rounds it is entirely plausible that you could score that fight to alexander volkanovsky it's just when you see it on paper or it's read out and it's like Okay, I watched a fight where it looked like Max was the better fighter for a larger period of the fight, or he looked better than Volk. You know, there was a gap. When when Holloway was better than Alex, he was noticeably better. But when Volkanovski was better than Max, it was by a finite margin. And I think then when you get to the end of the five rounds, your, your gut says Max Holloway won the fight. If you score the fight, you might not necessarily get the same result. That's where pride scoring and uh, the 10-point must-scoring systems differ quite quite, uh, quite massively. So I don't see that as a controversy. It's been reported as a controversy. We, I mentioned it as a controversy at the start because that's how people are treating it. It wasn't a controversial result, I don't think. Um, and uh, Max, I don't think, thinks it's a, a a controversial result. He'll go back. He will get another title shot unless he moves up to 155. In the meantime, it'd be interesting to see what he actually decides to do there's no shortage of big fights from at 45 um but there are there are some absolute killers waiting in the wings and he's probably going to have to go through one or two of them uh to get another shot and volkanovsky for his part as the champion has got a murderous row of contenders just sitting there waiting for a for uh for a tilt at the title so if he wants to be a fighting champion and wants to be an active champion he has got no problems at all because He's got a large queue of very talented, exciting guys just on his doorstep waiting to go. But, um, really interesting fight. Interesting from a judging perspective as well. Uh, there were no judges needed in the first title fight of the night. However, the bantam weight belt was up for grabs vacated by the King of cringe, Henry Cejudo. And uh, it was Petey Yan versus Jose Aldo, the old guard versus the new guard. And, uh, the new guard won pretty spectacularly. He, he, uh, after the first two rounds, which were pretty close, I mean, Aldo looked really good early on. Yan just seemed to just put his foot on the gas through the middle rounds and Jose just couldn't keep up with him. And Yan's body work in that fight was absolutely superb. Gradually slowed the gas tank of Jose Aldo. Finished him midway through the fifth. There was controversy in that stoppage in that it probably came about a minute later than it should have done. Uh, Aldo took a lot of punishment. I think the referee... Leon Roberts who is a very experienced ref from from this side of the pond um is a very respected referee he's, he's you don't see him making bad decisions like that in the octagon but I think if he looked back on that he would probably think that he let Aldo take a few punches too many there um I certainly thought he let it go too too long when Aldo went face down and just covered his head and didn't move to me that was the moment to just step in and stop it and uh it went on for an uncomfortably long period of time after that before it was finally waved off but no no uh no shine off uh, pdn's performance i've been high on him from the minute i saw him in for, for acb in russia i always thought he would do great things at 135 pounds and now he's the champion of the world the second russian champion in ufc history where he joins khabib Magomedov and uh the uh, I know he's not the keenest on doing media. He's going to have to get good at it, I think, because uh, he's going to be he's going to be inundated uh, with media requests from from Russian media from from uh, from some of my colleagues as well over the course of the next few weeks and months. And uh, he's at the top of a a stacked division as well. Just like Volkanovsky. there are some really big fights in in the pipeline for him in the future as well. But what did you make of Peter Yansandu do? And uh, what did you make of that stoppage or non stoppage? um during that fifth round
1: well i'll tell you this much Sai. i'm glad we're recording the podcast on a tuesday and not on sunday because i was fuming i was absolutely furious and it it took me a while to kind of calm down a little bit and kind of switch my focus and switch my attention to the holloway volkanovsky title fire and kind of reset the emotions a little bit and kind of get excited for that one because man Leon Roberts, he did a he, he shit the bed. He absolutely shit the bed on that one. And uh I agree with you. Great ref, got tons of experience. He should know better. He's seen it all, he's done it all, you know, at the very high level, at the at the very elite top level. Um when when a fire turtles up like that, face down, and he's just taking Incredibly powerful strikes, you know. They weren't just a pat strikes, right? Jan was laying them in, and it was just continuous. And and you know, intelligently defending yourself, no, not not at all, right? And, and, the, and the thing is, I don't want to just lay in on Ian Roberts here. The corner has a price to pay here as well. They've got to, they've got to have a look at themselves, you know. And this is an ongoing story and and, and a theme of twenty twenty. I feel like you know this is this has happened a few times. It happened in the Anthony Smith fight. It's happened on a few other other occasions this year. And I feel like um, when we when we end with twenty twenty, obviously the pandemic is the biggest talking point. When we actually talk about um, and kind of reflect on what were the big stories coming out of what we saw in, in the sport itself, I think stoppages and, and corner stepping in, throwing in the towel, is going to be up there, definitely in the top five. For me, it is anyway. Um, it just—it's not just a one-off now. It's—it's a—it's a continuous pan, and uh, I don't want to take anything, and I, and I refuse to take anything away from Peter Yan because it was a fantastic performance by him. Those first few rounds were very competitive, and I, and and I, at, at the beginning of the fight. I thought, okay, you know what? Aldo has proven that he can compete at a very high level at a bantamweight. The problem is when it got to the championship rounds, and I started to wonder if. If it was a combination of Peter Yan just kind of turning up the volume on his on his output. At the same time, if the, the extreme weight cut to make 135 pounds for Aldo would start to play its part in terms of affecting his his, uh, his stamina when it kind of got to the, the later uh, you know, stages of the, of the fourth and fifth rounds there. But Peter Yan, man, my God, this guy is an absolute marauder. I don't know um, who's going to beat him Uh, because he looks completely unstoppable. Uh, Hopefully, it's the Algermain sterling fight next for him. I think that's the one that makes sense. And like you rightly said, he's, he's there now with Khabib. And we touched on this last week, or you certainly did, Simon. He should be undefeated. He's got that one decision loss on his record, but it was a controversial one. And... Man, if there wasn't a pandemic going on right now, and and who knows, maybe this is one of those bold predictions for 2021 when things do get back to normal, but could you imagine the UFC going to a stadium in Moscow with Khabib headlining and Peter Yan as the, the second title fight? If they're both still champions at that point, that would be an absolute scene. Because at the moment, Khabib is a genuine, legitimate global superstar. Peter Yan isn't. Right now, he's kind of almost making his name in the MMA world because he's just become UFC champion. And even leading into the fight, I, got, I saw a lot of comments like, "Who's this guy?" People weren't really, um, you know, too aware of who he was or his record or what he had done. And so I think the UFC need to do a good job of, of helping to build his profile. He needs to do a, a job on his on his own to try and, um, you know, do the media, kind of get comfortable with, you know, doing lots of kind of um, you know interviews and, and all the rest of it, but when you look at the package, he delivers in the cage. His nickname is No Mercy, <laughs> right? And um, he's starting to put together a nice little resume in his UFC run. And I think you know the, the likes of an Al-Germain Sterling and, and other contenders in that bantamweight division. You know you got Cody No Love, Gabrón as well in there, in there who's trying to kind of shimmy his way into a title contention as well. So. It's going to be interesting where Jose Aldo goes from here. I don't know because he's now 0-2 at 135 pounds, right? Um, whether he just sticks around and, and and jumps into fun marquee matchups and fun marquee fights, that's probably what he can do. But he shouldn't be fighting for a title anytime soon because you know we've seen what's happened at featherweight. He's he's you know he was look he delivered in the fight. But I still don't agree with the fact that the UFC gave him the title shot in the first place. He just cut the line and and he was coming off a loss. And and the thing is, there's a precedent set now as well. Anytime there's a fighter that's coming off a loss or entering a new weight class and, and things don't seem right, well, you can always point to the Jose Aldo example. That's going to be the case study moving forward. But yeah, Peter Yan, all business, love it. And I can't wait to see a fight again down the road.
0: Yeah, Peter Yan is definitely the man at 135 pounds. Jose Aldo, looking at his his form, he's lost five of his last seven. Five of his last seven. I mean, this is a guy who went unbeaten for a decade heading into UFC 194. And then obviously that uh, left hook from heaven by uh, Conor McGregor after 13 seconds just ended that run. Um, and, you know, we talked at length on last week's show about the greatest featherweight champion of all time and uh you know I I sort of gave gave my take that I still think it is it is Jose Aldo um but you look at him right now and what can he do other than be a gatekeeper in all seriousness I mean he probably should have moved up to lightweight um rather than moved down I think he I think arguably that that was a critical mistake in his career when he got beat twice by Max Holloway I think what he should have done was move up where he would have been stronger at the weight. He's an older man. I'm not saying he's old because I'm crikey. I'm a hell of a lot older than he is, but he's an older man. Cutting weight gets harder as you get older. Um, but he stuck around at featherweight for a couple of fights, picked up a couple of decent wins. Then he lost to Volkanovski. Then he went down to bantamweight when I think he should have gone up. We've seen fighters move up in weight and do better. Talk to Michael Chiesa. Michael Chiesa was a contender at 155 pounds, never quite managed to break into the top three or four, but he was there or thereabouts. He just needed a little run of form. Boom, he'd have been in there. He moved up to 170 and now he looks like a changed man. He looks so much better at 170 and he's working his way up. His biggest problem is no one wants to fight him, Um, but people move up in weight and they seem to do better. Um, And uh, that's what I would like jose aldo to have done i don't know what happens with him right now uh he's 28 and 7 for his career now and as i say he lost three in a row and five of his last seven pd yan the world is his oyster he has got a whole load of fights and uh the way cody garbrandt is uh getting after him on social media right now no mercy versus no love could be uh could be on a fight poster in the not too distant future who knows uh, someone else who's likely to be featured on a fight poster in the not too distant future is Rose Namajunas. Once a once a nasty black eye heals up from her fight with Jessica Andrade, she won it by split decision uh, in a pivotal pivotal fight at 115 pounds, 29-28 twice and 28-29 for Andrade. It was a close fight, but I think Rose's Rose's boxing, Rose's movement, her ability to to frustrate Andrade from the outside was enough to get that decision win. It was a hard-fought contest, but she, did, I think she deserved that win. I certainly scored that fight for her. And uh, it looks like she's now the number one contender to take on uh, Zhang Weili for that women's strawweight belt and an opportunity to get back the title that she held previously. It's, um, it's a really interesting division, that strawweight division. You've got Joanna potentially to come back and, and get back in the mix uh, Andraj is there or thereabouts. Rose has just got past her, and uh, she got a big win at the weekend. And uh, it looked like she's got her mojo back again, and uh, that's really good to see. Because you know, both you and me, we both had the had the pleasure of meeting Rose in Berlin, Germany. I don't know if you remember this. We were running around trying to put a dub smash video together for MMA Junkie. I was I wasn't even working for Junkie at the time, but I was helping you out. You were running around. We we're basically trying to wrangle UFC fighters and I think she was a guest fighter that week. I think Stepe Miocic might have been a guest fighter that week as well. Um and um he was good value. Um but uh I remember we got Rosanama Yunus to dub smash Hakuna Matata from The Lion King. That was her favourite song and uh it kind of fits and uh you know ever since then just sort of just watching her career going through. And, she, you know, she's one of the nicest people you could meet away from cage. occasion. When she gets in there and she's got those UFC gloves on, she's a straight savage. And uh, that was a superb performance from her and uh, good to see her back on form once again. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. I just really enjoyed this fight from bell to bell. It was such a pleasing, on like the the flow, the boxing, the striking. It was such a great fight. I badly wanted to see a round four and round five here because I tell you what, Jessica and Drag was really turning a corner in that third round, in my opinion. And it's interesting that, you know, obviously they fought once before. It was a, foul, a five round uh, title fight, which went in the way of Jessica and Drag. This time, the three round fight decision, a split decision, went for Rosanna and Eunice fantastic fight ended up getting the fight of the night bonus as well uh, well deserved there they're gonna fight at some point down the road again and i hope the next time they do fight it is a five rounder, or whether it's for the title or maybe headlining a fight night card rose nami Yunus back in the win column and she's got to be a shoe in now to, to fight young Ray for that strawweight championship interesting uh, to note that they're both managed uh, by by brian butler um, and so it'll be. It's interesting, isn't it? We've got Ali Abdelaziz, his, who's obviously managing both Justin uh, Gaethje and Khabib Nurmagomedov. He's also the manager of uh, Kamara Usman, who's most likely going to fight Gilbert Burns, who Ali also manages. And now we've got a situation here with Rosner Eunice and Young Weley who's who are both managed by Brian Butler. Uh, and those guys over there are sucker punch. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how the the behind the scenes negotiations. Uh, for these fights uh, you know I'd love to be a, a fly on the wall or see kind of uh, the paperwork for you know who gets what uh, you, know, the, you know the split the prize money the, the pay structure and anything else that they end up negotiating even just on the sponsorship side you know so it's, it, that kind of stuff fascinates me but look that's kind of really inside baseball stuff there um, Rosamayunis got it done in with, with style points got a little, a little bit of an injury uh, looking to find out how severe that injury is um on her left eye but um man you know she's always been a fan favorite and just given what she was able to produce on fight night the prospect of her fighting young bailey is just get the popcorn out that's that is going to be elite level mixed martial arts on display and i have to say and i think a few other people have said this as well in the aftermath i think you've got to agree that the strawweight division in the in the female weight classes is, is the strongest in terms of just the, the elite level mixed martial arts on display, the number of stars, uh champions, former champions, it's it's a it's a great melting pot of, of, of names and talent. And I think um the UFC's done a great job of building that division over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, and throwing it back to that that Berlin event, that Berlin event I think the main event was uh and Jacek versus uh Jessica Penne which was a, a one-sided battering from uh, from from Ioanni and Jacek. One of the one of the bloodiest female fights I think I've ever seen. Um, and back then, people were talking about Joanna just completely shutting down the division. You know, she she was taking on all comers and just demolishing them at that point, and just looking utterly utterly dominant. And uh, you know, there were discussions then about is is there enough talent at 115 pounds? And over the course of the last few years. We've seen it, you know. You keep the weight class there, let it let it marinate. Let people uh, get into the division and build their careers. And now the women's strawweight division, you know, forget gender. It's one of the most exciting divisions. If you look at the the sort of the top five or so, you could perm any two from those that 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 sort of upper echelon, and you've got yourself an absolutely dynamite fight on your hands. So super super fight, super performance from Rose Namajunas. And we've probably got ourselves a super title fight at some point later this year. Worth noting as well, um, uh, Zhang Wei Li actually has spoken in glowing terms about Rose Nami Yunus being uh, the top of the top of the list of uh, the likely challenges to take her on. So, um, and it'll be an interesting clash in styles as well. I'm really looking forward to seeing that because surely that is the one that is going to get booked next. Someone else who is on a fast track to the top, so it seems is Amanda Hibas from Brazil, who has got to be one of the most uh, engaging, infectiously enthusiastic personalities we have seen in the UFC since Sage Northcutt. Um, she is just an absolute ray of sunshine when she gets in front of a microphone. Um, and she's an absolute killer when she gets into the octagon. Uh, that was Paige Van Zandt's final fight of her UFC contract. She was looking to put on a good performance, hopefully raise her stock for whomever it is she's going to be entering negotiations with next whether it's the UFC Bellator one championship whoever it might be um Amanda Hebas was not there for any of that. she utterly dominated Paige van Zant arm bars her in just two minutes 21 seconds of the opening round and uh this is this is Amanda Hebas whose best weight is 115. So she wants to get up there and join the likes of Rose Namajunas, Jessica Andrade, Ioannis Njecek, Zhang Weili. And the way she's going, she's not going to take long to get there. Um, But she can compete on two two weight classes. She's happy to do it at 125. Her best weight, she said, is at 115. And uh, she's definitely a star of the future. And the future is not long in coming by the looks of it. It's going to be with us pretty soon. Massive performance from her on the biggest stage of her career.
1: Yeah, you touched on her infectious energy. That's the best way of describing it. It is infectious. You know, you look at her Instagram or her social media, you watch her pre-fight interviews, you watch her post-fight fight night interviews, and it's just, she's a ball of energy. She just brings a smile to your face, and she's an absolute killer in the octagon. I mean, the minute she got into the onto the ground of Paige Van Zandt, it was all one-way traffic, and she put that arm bar submission on her, and it was all it, it was all she wrote. It wasn't a, a long or tough night for her. She comes out of there completely unscathed. She's still actually hanging around uh, Abu Dhabi from when I last checked. And who knows, maybe she'll just hang around there for a couple of weeks and see if uh, you know there's another a strawweight fight that maybe she can jump into last minute. Because, man, I'm telling you, man. She's uh she is the business and and, and, I'm, and I'm kind of glad for her that she's got a little cheeky win at flyweight because maybe she can move uh, up and down the weight classes you know, depending on what the availability is and you know what she you know what she wants to do and who knows maybe kind of coming out of this um, fight with Paige VanZant and just not having to cut the extra ten pounds maybe that's what made her performance even more dominant but. Fantastic for Amanda Rios and, you know what, the UFC always needs new blood for that Brazilian market. It's a very important market for them. It always has been. It always will be. There's definitely a changing of the guard happening in the sport right now. You know, we'll see how many more fights Anderson Silva has uh, left. Jose Aldo, we just saw, uh, you know, lost another title fight. But he's getting up there in age and definitely kind of past his prime, in my opinion. And so, you know, you're going to need a new generation of Brazilians to take over that mantle we've got amanda nunez who's obviously a two-weight champion on the women's side and uh and, and good for amanda rebass too because it, it looks like she's definitely been taking her some english lessons and it looks it seems as though that her english is is improving but i like i kind of like it i like the broken english with her high energy i think it's a, it meshes well together and so great for her paige van zandt though We all know, and we all knew what was happening when this uh, fight was booked, you know, on the last fight of our contract, the UFC matchmakers have basically just given her an absolute killer so she can go into free agency taking that L. But I don't know if, I don't know if Paige Van Zandt's stock went up or down. I think it kind of just stays neutral, to be honest with you. I think her worth is exactly the same head, you know, coming out of this fight as it was going in, to be honest. I know and we all know that the likes of Bellator maybe a one championship and a few others are going to be in there to try and acquire Paige Van Zandt because she's got a big social media following and people know her now. She is as close to a household name as you're going to get via mixed martial arts and via being a former UFC champion if she doesn't re-sign with the UFC. Uh, I like the idea of Bellato trying to sign her just for the fact that maybe they can throw her in there with a Lee Malay McFarlane and that would be a high profile fight, get a lot of media attention, get a lot of eyeballs um, and good luck to her. We spoke about this last week Simon, she's done it her way, she's built up her own little empire and she makes a lot of money outside of the fight game, good for her and Maybe she just wants more money, guaranteed money, and more power to her. I've got absolutely no problem with any fighter um, fighting out their contracts, exploring free agency, and, and just finding out what their worth is, you know? So, um, And who knows? This is not to say that the UFC door is completely shut on Paige Van Zandt. Uh, If I'm a betting man, I think she'll join her husband, Austin Vanderfort, at Bellator, uh, who, let's face it, are going to need some sort of injection of, uh, of some PR and some news because they have definitely kind of fallen off the radar during the pandemic era of 2020. And they, they should be you know um, making some announcements very, very shortly, because I think they did announce that they're gonna be holding an event on July 24th, which is uh, not too far away uh, from when we are recording this event at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but for Paige Van Zandt, good luck to her, regardless of where she ends up, whether it's back in the UFC or um, at Bellator, and the thing with Paige Van Zandt, and this is the final note on Van Zant, Simon, she's only 26. She's only 26. She's got a ton of experience behind her. She, she likes to fight. She enjoys fighting. She likes to train. She's very athletic. So I don't even know if we've seen the best of her yet. You know, and she this is, this is her first fight in, I think, of a year or, or year plus change or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if she does continue to fight, what performances are like. So I feel like at 26, you're still evolving and developing as a fighter.
0: Yeah and she she suffered with some pretty nasty injuries as well during that time as well. So, you know, there's no there's no questioning her her sort of fighting spirit and all the rest of it. I just think she's kind of found her level a little bit in the UFC and uh hasn't been able to sort of break that break that ceiling and move up to the next level. Maybe a change of scenery might be the best thing for Paige VanZant. It might open up a few doors outside of fighting and she can maybe uh play play both sides of the coin a little bit with her next contract three or four fights I just want to touch on on the prelims because we had a fair few decisions on the prelims. Um, I'll get this one out the way first because this was just one of the most bizarre fights. I do a feature on MMA Junkie called Rookie Report. So I always pay particular attention to whenever there is a debuting fighter in a UFC event. And Roman Bogatov came into UFC 251 for his UFC debut undefeated. He took on Leonardo Santos who I first watched... At Bama 6 in the UK back in 2011 against a a former boxer called Jason Ball. And he outpointed him back then. And I didn't think too much about it at the time. I thought, okay, he looks all right. He didn't look like anything particularly groundbreaking at that point. We knew he was a jiu-jitsu guy. He's never lost in the UFC, Sandu. And uh, he fought Roman Bogatov. He was doing all right. He's kind of scrappy. But... All of a sudden, he just completely lost the plot. And I remember, I, do you remember a boxer called Andrew Galotta? He had a very famous fight with Riddick Bowe, where he was winning the fight against Riddick Bowe. And then Bo just started to turn things up a little bit. And then for reasons completely beyond my comprehension, Galotta just decided to hit him low. And I think he hit him low like three times in the course of the fight and ended up getting disqualified. And this was almost reminiscent of that. Bogotov was doing all right against Leonardo Santos. Um, and uh, all right, he wasn't winning the fight, but he was certainly competitive. And But he just totally lost the plot. Um, and Mark Goddard, who is a very strong official, you could hear him just completely bewildered at what was going on. I mean, I'm sure there was a few lost in translation moments in there because I'm not convinced Bogatov understood Goddard's brand of English. Uh, and uh, it just, at one point, Godard stopped the fight and went, "What are you doing?" Like that's the ref. He's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Crazy man, you'd already committed two, two fouls, and then he, third one is like, okay. Two points are coming off. Um, it did not affect the result whatsoever. Like he would have lost twenty nine, twenty nine, twenty eight on all three cards. He ended up. So he ended up losing twenty nine, twenty six. But man, talk about self-sabotage he completely imploded I mean have you ever was the last time you saw something mental like that in the middle of a fight where a guy he was competitive in the fight he lost by one round if you're scoring it round by round but then he just completely completely went off the deep end in the final round started dropping fouls in left right and left right and center and then almost was lucky not to get disqualified
1: yeah, to say it was a ballsy move by Bogatov is an understatement. that fight Don't do was, that when
0: I'm drinking. That fight That fight was nuts,
1: Simon. <laughs> oh, I've, I've been dying to say that as soon as you stopped talking. I was just dying to get that one in. Um, yeah, it was bizarre. It was absolutely bizarre. Um, and and the funny thing is, it had a knock-on effect to the rest of the... Uh, oh, I wouldn't say it had a knock-on effect, but... Um, there was a moment where people were thinking, are they going to finish the prelims on time for the main card to start? Because they have to start that pay-per-view on time, regardless of where the fights are. So, uh, But thankfully, Maquan uh defeated Danny Henry by a first-round anaconda choke. And um, I, you know what? I have to say, I like Maquan. Um, he's, he's one of those fighters that I've been lucky enough to get to know a little bit, uh, especially during... Um, my time covering the sport over there in Europe. Great guy. Uh, really happy for him to to get back in the win column. And, uh, yeah, and then obviously uh, we saw what Jury Prochaska did to Volkan Ozdemir in that featured prelim. But, man, Leonardo Santos and Roman Bogatov. Lads, I mean, like Matt Goddard said, what are you doing?
0: Craziness. Craziness. Yeah, I wanted to touch on Mac1, uh, Amir Khani and, and, and Jury Prochaska's performances because first off, Macquan. Danny Henry is no slouch. Danny Henry um was going in there. I know a lot of people uh were picking him to win that fight. Um he was a he was a legitimate threat in that fight. Um he would come off a really good win previously. Macwan Amekani was coming off a disastrous performance against Shane Burgos where his gas tank just completely deserted him from pretty much halfway through the first round. Um His strength and conditioning had just completely let him down um, during the course of the build-up to that fight. But he came back, he looked in outstanding form, choked out Danny Henry. And it was one of those scary submissions, you know. You you see these sometimes, especially with these blood chokes, where you see them and they're they're just completely locked up. And if you're not a long-time watcher of MMA and you saw this, it's the sort of thing that would give you nightmares, because it's kinda of scary when you first see it's like Cracky. But Maquan straight away grabbed he he detangled Danny Henry's toes from the cage and elevated his legs to try and help stimulate the blood flow and, and, and get everything back. And uh he he got a lot of praise for that. Um in, in, in the media I know from uh, various outlets for his sportsmanship. He's a nice guy, Macquan Amercane. He's got that very sort of uh, laid back sort of drier persona, but he, you know, as, as as you said, we've both got to know him over the years. He's a he's a he's a really nice guy, and I remember he won his first fight in the UFC. All he wanted to do was buy his mum a new bed. His mum's bed was was broken. The first thing he wanted to do, I want to buy my mum a new bed, and that was all. That that's all that mattered to him at that point. And now he's he, you know he's progressing his UFC career. I think he just needs regular fights. If we can get him regular fights in that featherweight division, he can be a real problem at 145 pounds. It'll be interesting to see what the matchmakers do with him next. As for Jury Prohaska, um, he kind of scuppered my big pre-fight tip. I do, um, I sometimes do pre-fight tips for Paddy Power. And uh, my big one, I I basically look out for value bets. Just picking winners. There's no value in picking winners, right? It just doesn't, it doesn't help you earn too much money because the odds are so tight but yuri prohaska to win in round one sandu was six to one six to one and this is a guy who'd won his last eight fights in the first round this is right and and he was facing vulcan ozdemir who wasn't going anywhere he was going to stand in front of him um not exactly an an elusive opponent um yeah there's the risk of getting knocked out yourself and uh, ozdemir certainly clipped in with a few shots but um 6 to 1 for a first round KO to me looked like fantastic value. Unfortunately, uh Prohaska didn't didn't really hit stride until the very end of that round. He did a bit of some pretty bizarre stuff <laughs> through the first half of the first round, holding his hand, almost like he was shaking hands with himself, and then throwing a punch from that sort of stance. It was really weird. Um Ozdemir started to started to clip him a little bit. Didn't unduly trouble Prohaska, and then 49 seconds into the second round. My goodness me. Connects with an absolutely huge shot. And that was it. Game over. Um, who do you want him to fight next? Because I've got a name in mind. Um, and it would be absolutely bananas because I want him to fight Johnny Walker.
1: Well, you just took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> the minute the fight was over, I saw a couple of people online mention Johnny Walker. and Before I could even get my suggestion out there, I'm like, Everyone's on the same page here. I think everyone wants to see what a, a Jury Prochaska, Johnny Walker fight would look like because those are two wild light heavyweights that are just, <laughs> they are fun on their way to the octagon and they definitely are, let's just say, charismatic with their in-cage fighting style. Um, but I'll tell you what, I don't know if uh, Jury Prochaska can do that kind of stuff at the very elite level and get away with it. on his way up if he can you know keep delivering knockouts the light heavyweight division is screaming for new names new blood all the time all the time Uh, because John Jones has this continuously dominated that division you know we've been lucky and fortunate I'd, I'd say in how that Dominic Reyes fight played out because Reyes is someone that could be the long-term future of the division, especially if they fight again, and especially if he is able to dethrone John Jones. Um, but that being said, that's a very top end of the division. On the come-up though, when you're thinking about prospects and things of that nature, remember the name, Juri Prochaska. I think he could be someone we'll be talking about in the next 12 months, a lot in that division.
0: Yeah, definitely. And Czech MMA is on the rise. I mean, they've got a promotion over there called Octagon. Octagon with a K. Um, and uh, they host some fantastic looking stadium shows and they've got, they've got a really, really sort of growing scene over there. I was over there for MMA junkie covering the UFC's first ever event in the Czech Republic in Prague. And the media coverage was huge over there. They were all, absolutely all over it. And a uh, great crowd, knowledgeable crowd loud as well. It was a great, really, really great place to go and and cover fights. And, They've only had the one Czech fighter on the roster recently, which was uh, Lucia Pudilova. Um Now they've got Yuri Prohaska, and he don't look too far away from being able to take on some of... I mean, Volkan Ostomir is no slouch. He's top five, top six material, and he's he's the sort of guy that you stand in front of him at your peril. He knocks, he, he's got the ability to knock you out uh, with very short-range shots. And he hit Prohaska with some decent stuff in that fight. Perhasca went nowhere and then KO'd him in the second round. Super super excited to see what they do with him next. But yeah, the Johnny Walker fight just book the damn thing. It's there. That's the sort of that's a Christmas present to the fans. Put it on a put it on a December card or one of the big showcase cards. Open up a main pay-per-view card with that fight and you have got no problem whatsoever getting everybody uh wound up for 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 a big night ahead. Um nothing much else to report except for the very first fight of the night. Dangerous Davy Grant, the UK's own, taking on Hawaii's Martin Day, um, who looked pretty decent, actually, in the early game. But Davy Grant decided, despite the fact he got dropped early in that fight, um, that he was going to plant his feet, bite down on his mouthpiece, and start throwing with the guy. And uh, knocked him out with a huge shot midway through the third round. It was his first knockout in the UFC. Earned himself a $50,000 bonus. Um, Absolutely over the moon for Davy Grant, who has who's had a tricky run of it in the UFC. He's been, had long periods away with injury and uh, a couple of false starts here and there. Got his chance to open the card. Um, the very first man is a trivia pub trivia question. The first man to step into the first fighter to step into the octagon on fight night at UFC Fight Island. Dangerous Davy Grant, and he got the job done by knockout two minutes 38 the third round outstanding performance really really pleased for him
1: yeah likewise I'm happy for him because he's a good guy we've obviously been lucky enough to interview him over the years uh, a little bit he's very unfortunate with his lack of activity during his UFC tenure but look over the last what six seven months that's now two wins you know back to back for Davy Grant uh, a split decision win. and but this one judges weren't required that left hand was absolutely on the button, and he suffered a broken jaw, and I think early in the fight. And I, I love these social media clips every now and then that the UFC via Dana White will will publish, especially when it's these kind of fight past prelims. It's something you know it's crazy or spectacular happens, and that's exactly what happened. And uh, in that exchange between David Grant and Dana White. You know grant essentially said hey look i broke my jaw you know early in the fight uh, the 50k performance of the night bonus would absolutely change my life dana white essentially said we'll take care of you or we'll get you figured out or something to that effect and when that exchange happened i thought to myself well you know what and we've seen it well time simon when was the last time when was the last time a fighter let alone on the prelim but the very first fight of the night Got anywhere near sniffing a performance tonight bonus, and then when you look at the <laughs> the actual card, I'm like, Davey, mate. I mean, look at the look at the names on this card. You know, look at the potential fireworks we can you know you know uh, potentially see coming down the road in the next couple of hours. You'll be lucky if you got a, a 50k bonus, but he did, and I'm chuffed for him. Really, really pleased for him because that is going to go a long way for him, and I'm glad. Uh, that the UFC Dana White gave him that bonus. And and good for him. Obviously, he's now going to recover because he's got a broken freaking jaw. Uh, But when he does come back, um, hopefully he can continue to ride this little bit of momentum that he's now got and found himself in the UFC.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And a great way to kick off the night. Um, And all in all, a pretty successful fight, card and a great way to kick things off on UFC Fight Island. But that's just the first. We've got three more of these bad boys coming up in the space of the next week and a bit we've got two fight nights this week and depending on when you listen to this you'll you might catch UFC fight night on Wednesday night after you've listened to this or maybe this will come out for you after the fights but we will very quickly run through the uh, the midweek fight car because there are some sneaky good fights on this card midweek fights you don't get them very often um but um there's some there's some good stuff on this card. Calvin Cater versus Dan Ige is the main event, Sandu, at £145. Pounds. Calvin Cater, I think, would have beat Magomed, uh, sorry, Zabit Magomed Sharipov in Moscow if their fight had been five rounds, as it was originally supposed to be. Um it ended up being a three rounder, and Cater lost the first two rounds of that fight. And he's a notoriously slow starter, but he picked things up. He was he was the man on the up when that fight stopped. And there was only one guy in there who wanted that fight to finish after round three. And it wasn't him. He was still going. He then put on an incredible performance against Jeremy Stevens. And he's knocking on the door at 145 pounds, as is dangerous Dan Ige or Dan 50K Ige. A um, lot of people really high on him. And uh, this is an outstanding matchup because the winner of this is going to be catapulted into that top top four or five and he's going to be facing a potential title contender fight next. Um, which, which way are you leaning with this? Because uh, I've I've sort of spoken some, to, to some of my colleagues over in in the states, and there's a slight difference of opinion with this. Um, I've gone with Calvin Cater, but it's it is a really tough fight because you can't you can't back back against Dan Ige with any confidence with the form he's in. Yeah, it's it's not.
1: Yeah, it's tough because you're right. Danny Gay is riding an incredible win streak at the moment. And, you know, you—you know slouch if you beat Edson Barboza. Let's just put it that way. I have a feeling, though, because it's a five-round fight, I think there's a level that Danny Ige... I don't know if he hasn't shown his ability to hit that level, but a win over Calvin Cater will definitely kind of, I suppose, you know, silence any critics that he may have with regards to his potential ceiling. That being said, I'm picking Calvin Cater. I genuinely feel like he's the genuine article. He, he's the real deal. And he, he he's someone that could be fighting for a featherweight championship in the next, what, 18 months or so? I, you know, he, he's literally right behind Yair Rodriguez, Chan Sung Jung, Brian Ortega, and Zabit Magomed Sheripov. And I'll tell you what, if Calvin Cater gets the W this week, you know who I'm calling out? I'm calling out Max Holloway. Because if you can take on Max Holloway, you're going to probably most likely get a five-round fight on a fight night card. Or at least a high-profile slot on a pay-per-view main card. A win over him, and that's it. You're, you're a shoe in for a title shot. And it's given the other names that I mentioned who are likely going to be fighting each other in the latter part of 2020. That's the one that makes most sense, given what we just saw this past weekend and the the limbo situation that Max Holloway's in. But yeah, in terms of making a a choice and making a pick here, it'll be Calvin Cater. I will be shocked though, if Dan Higay pulls off the victory.
0: Yeah. And I think the, the, uh, the Max Holloway call out idea is, is spot on because you look at those other four names, they're likely to get matched against each other. It looks like Chan Sung Jung and Brian Ortega. That looks like that's on its way to being booked. And, uh, Zabit Magomed Sharapov and uh, Yair Rodriguez would be a hell of a fight to book as well. So you could see those two fights easily being booked up um, to sort of whistle that field down. Or, you you know, you've almost got this mini tournament you could put on at 145 pounds, um, especially now you've got uh, Volkanovski at the top of the tree right now, and he will be looking for new new blood in his next fight. Um, flyweights are in the co-main event it's- one of the scrappiest men on the roster always always puts on a good fight. Tim Elliott taking on Ryan Benoit. We've got Jimmy Rivera versus Cody Stamen at featherweight. Cody Stamen, I think his best weight is probably bantamweight, but he's been dabbling with life at 145 pounds. And uh, looking looking at him at the weigh-ins today, he's a lot bigger than Jimmy Rivera, and I, that that surprised me because I've always seen Rivera as quite a solid a solid forty fiver. But uh, Cody Stamen, Cody Stamen, or so, sorry. No, they're both mates. What am I talking about? But Cody Stamen looking noticeably bigger than Jimmy Rivera. That will be an absolutely cracking fight. Stamen's been through some really difficult time in his personal life. Um, he he lost his brother a few weeks back, literally the week of his last fight. Uh, and Jimmy Rivera is looking to get back in there for the first time in a long time and get himself back into the mix. They're taking the fight at forty-five. Instead of 35, I think just to get the wheels back on the wagon again and uh, move things forward. But Sandu, let's talk about the women's flyweight fight that's coming up. Um, Taylor Santos coming in to take on the UK's own Meatball Molly McCann, who delivered the most intense stare-off of the day um, today at the weigh-ins. Molly always brings it. She's one of the most charismatic fighters to come out of the UK. She's another one with an infectious personality, but she's got that real intensity about her that I absolutely love. And uh, make no mistake, she's going to go in there looking to make a real statement and uh, push herself up that 125-pound women's division.
1: Yeah, and she's riding a three-fight win streak, Simon. So she's got... You know her mojo going in the UFC, lots of momentum. The one defeat she's got on a UFC run so far against Julian Robertson, who's really up there, um, you know, in that weight class. The one thing I'm looking for this from this uh, this fight card, particularly out of Molly McCann, is a finish. She's got three wins in a row, but they've all been uh, via unanimous decision. Now, look, don't get me wrong, a win's a win, and I'm sure. If uh, you tell Molly McCann she can come out of this fight with another W, regardless of whether it's a split decision, unanimous decision, she'll take it. Um, but you know what? If you're going to start to make a, a statement in, in the weight class, if you want to start to call out re- the real big names and get propelled up the, the rankings, you've got to start finishing fights. You've got to start putting together a little bit of a, a highlight reel. And so that's what I'm looking for, uh, looking out uh, from her on this particular card. But yeah, all the rest of it, she's a total package, mate. Great interview. She's great, uh, fight week value. She always delivers when it comes to a stare down. And if she gets to win, I'm sure she'll do the business on the microphone and a post-fight interview as well.
0: Yeah. Last time I saw Molly was in Dublin. We were, I was on press row watching her, her good friend, Leah McCourt in the main event at Bellator Dublin. Uh, and she couldn't, she couldn't be one of Leah's cornermen. Um, she ended up on press row with us and she was basically cornering Leah McCourt from press row just absolutely bellowing instructions from just one seat in front of me so after the fight i just got the phone out and got her to give me give me her take straight after the fight but yeah she's she's brilliant value she i think she she's great for the media and uh, a great ambassador for MMA in in the north of england as well so uh, i'm sure she'll be uh, She'll be flying flying the flag for the UK, for Liverpool and for Everton Football Club, as she always does uh, on fight night, on Wednesday night. Uh, Rounding out the main card, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan taking on Munir Lezez. Uh And the prelim card is packed, packed with UK-based fighters. We'll run through them really quick. John Phillips uh, is taking on the very dangerous Kamzat Chimaev uh, in the feature prelim. Ricardo Ramos is taking on Lerone Murphy who is very unlucky not to have a win on his record already. He got a draw with Zubaira Tukagov um, last time they fought. Um, Modestas Bukowskis, Lithuanian, but living and training and fighting out of the UK. Former Cage Warriors light heavyweight champion taking on Andreas Mikhailidis. Chris Fishgold, another former Cage Warriors champion, former Cage Warriors lightweight champion, is competing at featherweight. He missed weight today, though. He came in at 149 uh, for his fight against Jared Flash Gordon and kicking off. Uh, the fight card is arguably the uh, the hottest prospect to emerge from the UK over the last the last year or two Jack Shaw from Wales um, undefeated Bantamweight will kick off the night against Aaron Phillips Um, out of those guys who 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 are you most excited to see um, tomorrow night when we're when we're burning the midnight oil again watching these fights
1: yeah, it's probably Jack Shaw just because of uh, his potential. Um, you know, being someone that we probably followed on the regional circuit a little bit, and, and we can see um, he's he looks as though at, at this very early stage of his career that he he could have you know he could tick all the boxes in terms of what the UFC are looking for. Uh, all he needs to do is keep winning, put on, put on those performances, um, and he's in a weight class that is just turning into a shark tank and it is a shark tank so uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what jack shaw can do there but the other thing that i'm looking out for or that i think is worth noting is that chris Fishgold, jared gordon fight for one particular reason jared gordon's corner have all tested positive for covid19 so they've had to stay behind in the states so he's had to travel um alone and um unfortunately he's got You know, no one that can corner him, but lo and behold, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier on, about who you're represented by. So his manager is Brian Butler, Sucker Punch Entertainment. One of the commentators, Simon, is Paul Felder, who also just happens to be managed by Brian Butler and Sucker Punch Entertainment. So they've kind of just called in a favor. Now, look, Jared Gordon and... Uh, Paul Felder they're not teammates they don't, they don't train out of the same gym but they're under the same label they're under the same, under the same management so basically Paul Felder is going to do him a solid and I tell you what take take the t- uh, tip of the hat to the UFC for allowing him to do this midway through the broadcast if required that is uh, well technically, technically I don't even think if it's a matter of him even being required because I think he'll be in his corner at the beginning of the fight in between rounds Paul is gonna basically be giving him some corner advice. So it, you know, it'll be this is this is very similar to the situation we saw with Mike Perry and, and his girlfriend. I think everyone's gonna be looking forward to seeing the end of the first round if it reaches that point. And you're gonna have a suited and booted Paul Felder who's gonna be jumping in there giving in giving Jared Gordon some, some corner advice. And then the minute the fight's over, he's gonna take his seat back in the commentary booth and continue commentating on the fights. A bizarre situation. It's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds during the broadcast, but that is something to to note because we've never seen it happen before, and uh, this is very unique circumstances.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny. Because we, we, we kicked off um, the, these pandemic fights. Um, I remember Greg Hardy uh, referenced it you could pretty much get corner advice from the commentary team at this point, right? I think he, he referenced, he referenced some, uh, some commentary from Daniel Cormier about checking leg kicks during his fight. Uh, So he started checking leg kicks and uh, it it sort of helped him on his way. But um, yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be interesting to watch and just underscores again, what, what, what a decent bloke Paul Felder is. Anybody who's met him um, will, will tell you the same thing. He's just, just a salt, salt of the earth guy um fights like an absolute warrior as well i don't quite know where he's looking at taking his fighting career next in terms of who he wants to fight and where he wants to go next um but he is an asset to the ufc both as a fighter as an on-screen personality and uh as a as a as a a co-commentator as well i think you know the future is bright for him in whatever direction he decides to take his career in the next year or two but um, yeah, well worth pointing out. That'll be one to keep a close eye on on Wednesday night. But that's not all the fights we've got on this absolutely stacked show on the Brit Pack. We have a whole other fight card. We'll, we'll rip through this. Saturday night, we are back on UFC Fight Island. The Flash Forum will play host to its third event in seven days with uh, their latest UFC Fight Night show. Davison Figueroa versus Joseph Benavidez. Um, that's going to be absolutely huge. Who is going to get the win? Who is going to walk away with the belt? They were supposed to do this before. Davis and Figueiredo missed weight. Then they clashed heads during the fight. And then Joseph Benavidez got stopped. So many caveats and asterisks on that fight. They're running it back. They're running it back. We will see how that one goes in the main event. Jack Hermanson versus Kelvin Gastelum. Mark Jacasey versus Rafael Fiziev. Put a little uh, pin next to that. That will be in the running for fight of the night, mark my words. Ariane Lipsky versus Luana Carolina. Alexandra Pantoja, who by the way is on standby for the main event. If anything happens on the scale on weighing day, he will be looking to hit 125 on the nose because if he does and anything goes wrong with the main event, he's in. But he's got himself a tricky fight against a guy who I think might beat him, Askar Asgarov. Um, the main card is is it's going to be full of excitement, I think. Pick out, pick out a couple of these fights, Sandu. What are you most looking forward to? And then we'll take a look on the prelims after.
1: It's the main event, Simon, for me, you know. And like you said, so many asterisks on that first fight, but I just want some uh some resolve i I I want the flyweight division and that championship 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 rather situation to get resolved so we can just move forward you know um i'm really hoping this week that both guys are healthy they make weight they pass their covid tests there's no controversy both before or during the fight and we crown a champion and we can move forward um, it's just it's just been an unfortunate situation with that championship belt and that uh, and, and that, that division needs to move on you know I'm, I'm still holding on hope that this is a division that the UFC are going to stick keep around and, and it sticks around and even though that perhaps that it might not be a division that there is the most robust in terms of you know the number of fighters versus the other weight classes hopefully it's still you know I guess I mean look if they're gonna keep a featherweight championship around in the on the female side, and there's literally no rankings there whatsoever because kinda literally, I think I can count all the featherweights on on one hand, but then surely they can keep a flyweight division. You know, maybe it's not uh, a division that, that's gonna get the most bookings or the most fights throughout the year, but um, hopefully it sticks around. The only other fight that really kind of interests me on this um, on this main card is that Jack Comanson-Kelvin Gastelum co-main event? Because here you have Kelvin Gastelum, and man, he, he's, he's you know, so far the kind of guy that's... Um, he gets that big opportunity, and then it just doesn't go his way, does it? You know, he lost the, the the interim title fight against Israel Adesanya, lost a split decision against Darren Till, and this is all in a weight class where, he you know, it should be something that... It doesn't really affect him in terms of his conditioning and weight cutting and being all drawn out and then on the flip side you've got Jack manson who's had an incredible couple of years in the ufc in terms of putting together a nice run of wins but he's coming off a loss you know he had all this momentum and then it came kind of crashing down when he lost to jared Cannonier in his last outing but it's been a while it's uh that, that loss came in september of last year so around nine months ago and change. Big, big opportunity for him to take on someone that fought for a title or be an interim title in Kelvin Gaslam. So, yeah, it's really the, the the top billing and the co-main event that's uh, kind of got my interest on that main card.
0: Yeah, I think I think uh, we've got a lot of fights on this card that could be could be sleepers for fighting a night, but I, I stuck a pin in this fight earlier on. Mark Giacchese versus Rafael Fiziev has got fireworks written all over it. If you if you're relatively new to watching the UFC and you've not seen Mark Jacques and you're not aware of how he worked his way up, um he is an absolute dynamo of a striker. He's he's superb. He he's got a penchant for uh the spectacular. Look up his knockout win over Timu Pakalan in London. One of the most spectacular KOs you will see. Inside the UFC octagon. And the lead up to it was spectacular. He's doing two touch spinning back kicks. Flying around the cage. Doing all sorts of stuff. And uh, absolutely massive right hand. Sent Timu Pakalum falling like a tree. He was due to face Alan Patrick from Brazil. Uh In what would have been a pretty decent matchup. Alan Patrick ended up uh, having to come uh, off the card. And he's been replaced with Kyrgyzstan's Rafael Fiziev. Now, Rafael Fiziev may not be the biggest name you've ever heard of. You may not even have watched too many of his fights. He's only fought in the UFC twice uh, and he's one and one in the UFC, uh, but he is seven and one overall and he's a killer. He's an absolute killer. He loves nothing better than to stand and bang. He's one of the striking coaches at Tiger Muay Thai. Um, and anyone who comes out of Tiger Muay Thai, the likes of Peter Yan, Alexander Volkanovsky. They have sharpened their striking skills at Tiger Muay Thai. And this guy may well have been a major part in that. He is a superb striker. He's got Muay Thai background. um, And uh, as I say, bases himself out of Tiger Muay Thai in in Phuket. That is going to be a hell of a bout. If you like your stand-up striking wars, make sure you check that fight out. There's some good stuff further down the card. Let's take a look at the prelims. Uh, Cardis Bragimov versus Roman DeLidza at light heavyweight Grant Dawson is taking on former Cage Warriors featherweight champion Nad Naramani Joe Duffy is back we haven't seen Joseph Duffy in forever he's taking on Yoel Alvarez Brett Johns versus Montel Jackson is another sleeper for fight of the night um, we've got some great stuff on this card I mean they're not what you would call top draw A-list guys most of them but I think the, this will show you the sort of the strength in depth and so, just give you a glimpse of some of the potential of what's coming coming up through the ranks, particularly in some of the lighter weight classes. Um, pick out a couple that you like the look of on this prelim card, Sandu.
1: The one fight that, well, this this two really I like to see the return of Joseph Duffy. Um, he's taken on Joel Alvarez, and man, Joseph Duffy. I mean, you talk about. A sliding doors moment you know had he just had a few things gone his way and perhaps if he'd piped up a little bit on the microphone man that conor mcgregor rematch that would have been a massive you know payday for him and in terms of getting a spotlight on him it just never materialized he, oh, it's, it's incredible he holds a win over conor mcgregor he's in the ufc and for some strange reason he just hasn't been able to manifest a fight with him both due to his lack of uh, getting the right wins and consistency um, and perhaps also maybe just due to his uh, his personality and the way he's perhaps gone or not gone about trying to chase that fight um, so i'm looking forward to seeing uh, what happens there with joseph duffy and joel alvarez the other fight that i'm looking forward to is actually the malcolm gordon versus amir Al-Bazi fight now Amir al-Bazi is making his UFC debut here. He, a bit of a, I guess, in terms of his background, um, a mixed bag uh, or, or a melting pot is probably a better way to phrase things. Iraqi heritage. Uh, I believe he's born and raised in Sweden, but he resides now in London. He's part of the London Shootfighters Fighters squad. And um, I, I've had my eye on him for a while actually because I, I saw a couple of his performances in Bellator um, a while back. He then went over to Brave uh, Championship, and he went one and one in Brave. I've got a feeling he's got this call up at the last minute at the last minute just so that the UFC could fill out this card and and get another flyweight fight, just as a a plan C if all things went crazy with that. That main event, but uh, he goes by the name of the Prince Amir, the Prince Al bazi and something else to know about him. He is signed to Paradigm Sports Management, the same label as Conor McGregor, Michael Bisping, Leon Edwards, uh, just to name a few. So they've obviously seen something in him that's marketable, promotable, um, and he's got a, you know a, a good solid uh, resume. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in the UFC. So that's the that's, that's the fight that I'm looking forward to on that prelim, probably more so even than the Joseph Duffy, Joel Alvarez fight person.
0: Yeah, no, and, you know, we talked about, the, you know, the amount of UK, UK-based fighters on the card. He's a recent addition. You know, that fight with Malcolm Gordon, who comes comes from, uh, from Canada, he's a veteran of uh, Canadian promotion, TKO, any UFC fight pass, uh, subscribers who like to watch some of the uh some of the regional promotions on there will be very familiar with TKO's product. Well he's a TKO guy um and uh they've both came in um relatively short notice uh for this fight uh pretty much a week ago, week and a half ago. So um it'll be interesting to see which one comes in better prepared and uh how that fight goes. That's the third fight of the night. Davi Ramos is taking on Armand Sarukian. Armand Sarukian's a bit of a sleeper at lightweight. He's a super, super tough, super tough uh, fighter. Keep an eye out for him. And the first fight is a heavyweight match. Uh, Sergei Spivak versus the debuting Carlos Felipe. Um, but that that is an absolutely jam-packed schedule of fights uh, that we've just brought you there. We ran through UFC 251 and now we've got two UFC fight cards to take place before we catch up with you next uh, with the next edition of the Brit Pack. Absolutely jam-packed show. I don't know what you guys out there are going to do on Wednesday night, especially if you're in the UK. This is where working from home probably isn't such a terrible thing because at least you haven't got to drag yourself into the office and try and explain away why you look like death warmed up because you've stayed up to watch a load of fights. Um If you are staying up to watch them, don't worry, you won't be alone. I will be doing the same and uh, I'm sure Sandu will be watching from a slightly more uh, palatable time zone over there in, in Toronto, Canada. Stacked, stacked programmer fights coming up and we will unpack the best of it on next week's edition of the Brit Pack. Sandhu, how can everyone get this show?
1: Right, britpack.substack.com is the main headquarters of the show. That being said... We're on Spotify, we're pretty much on every uh, podcast catcher available on Android, and for all of you lovely people on Apple, we're on Apple Podcasts, and if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, give us a five-star rating, drop us a review, it's really helpful uh, to help us push up those charts and those rankings on Apple, that's the way things work there. Simon is at Simon Head sport on Instagram at Simon head on Twitter I am at Sandu MMA across the board Twitter Facebook Instagram you name it by the way I just passed a hundred thousand followers on Instagram so uh, that was a nice with that plus this weekend's card plus Spurs beating Arsenal it was a fantastic weekend for me mate can't can't can't, can't believe things happened the way they did so um, so yeah but anyway enough of us. That was a jam-packed show, close to ninety minutes. If you're still listening to us, we appreciate it. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to these next couple of uh, UFC events because we're gonna have a lot to digest and a lot to talk about on next week's show.
0: Damn right, lots and lots of fights. We will we will have a focus on the uh, the UK-based fighters when we run through everything on next week's show. Of course, we will go in depth on the uh, the big fights that matter at the top of the car, But we'll bring you all the all the Brits and all the UK-based fighters and uh, give you a full update on how they all got on on next week's show. Thank you once again to all of you for uh, checking out the show. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for hitting us up on social media, for leaving us reviews. Everything you do just helps us, and uh, we appreciate everything that you are doing. So check out the show next week. Check out the fights before then, and we'll speak to you in a week's time.